All right, so as they're going down, we want to just real quick uh, go over our giving slide. So we've got a giving slide that we put up every quarter. And again, just a quick reminder, why do we put our giving slide up? First reason is we want to be completely transparent when it comes to money um, and the things that we're doing at the church. So we put it up there so that everybody can know how much is coming in, what our budgets are, and make it open to you if anybody wants to talk, ask questions, or be a part of, you know, or ask what, what's happening with money. You can meet with me, you can meet with our elders or our staff, and we can go over those things with you. So one is transparency. The other thing is thankfulness. So for us to have an opportunity uh, to be able to say thank you uh, to Life Church and to all those who are giving so that we have the opportunity to, again, uh, praise God in thanking you for giving us that chance. The other reason is if you've been here from the give beginning, every time you see one of these giving slides, you say, nothing is impossible, right? Because if, if you don't know if you've like been here just in a short time, like, oh, that's what the budget is, and it's, you know, they're meeting the budget, and it's pretty good, but the reminder is the first quarter budget used to be more than a whole year's budget in the beginning of, of the church, so we're thankful. We're thankful for the eight new people who came on board and were able to, to participate and be a part of uh, giving on a regular basis here at Life Church. so thank you for giving us a chance to do ministry, and we, uh, thank you for all of your sacrifices. All right. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Galatians 3, um, and again, I'm either going to have to talk faster and get through it, because we went 15 minutes over in the first service, so we'll jump right into it. Galatians 3, what are we doing? What are we going after? So in the beginning of Galatians 3, the, the major focus of all, really all of Galatians 3 is Paul had given them a truth, and he also gave them a principle. Here's the truth, right? But here's what he said. If you don't do specific things to stay on the path of truth, you will naturally drift, right? That's a principle that he would say to all of us in the room, not just to the Galatian church. If this is truth and this is the path, if you don't daily correct the ship or right the ship, however you want to say it, if you don't intentionally pull it back on course, you will end up off course, on a different path, in a different place, and wonder how you got there, right? So we said last week, okay, what are some specific principles? Like, what are some things that we can do every single day to keep riding the ship, right? So if you didn't get to hear those, go back, listen online. Uh, you can go back online. You can listen and or watch it so you can get those principles because we all need them, right? Like, we all need things to be remembered, like, right the ship, right the ship, right the ship. Now, Here's the cool thing about the way that I think the Bible teaches, and it's important for me. I'm a hands-on guy, and, and one of the ways that I learn is learning from somebody and learning from their life examples. So I love to read autobiographies, so I love to look at the lives of people. So if I'm going to read something, I love to look at their life, and I love to learn from their life. Well, one of the things that was always a struggle with me is I would read the Bible and it'd be just like last week. Those are great principles. And I'd be out there be going like, yeah, those are great principles. And I'd be like, how in the world do you do that? Anybody else ever feel that way? You're like looking at it, you're like, how does that even apply? Right? How does that apply to day-to-day -day life? How do we make these things? And not only how does it apply, if I do apply them, what, what happens? Like, what's it turn out like? You know, one of the great things about autobiographies and histories of people, you can say, oh, they made this decision and this happened, right? Or they made this decision and this happened. We can learn 
from those things. So Jesus did this a lot. You know, he would tell stories and then he would use an example of a person or an example of something that people knew, right? So you're a farmer. Let me tell you a story about a farmer, right? You're, you're this. Let me tell you a story about this. So in Galatians 3, here's what Paul does. He said, I'm going to tell you the story of Abraham, right? And I'm going to give you this principle and I'm going to help you understand something. So I want you to, to get that, like, right the ship, right the ship, right the ship, right the ship. But I, I don't want you to miss this. That in the midst of all of what I'm going to teach you, right, when it comes to the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ, and when it comes to what the Judaizers were trying to, do, trying to do, I can teach you nothing greater than a life of faith. Right? That's what he's saying. Like, I can teach you nothing greater than having a life of faith. And that if we can teach this or if we can get to these places, then you can start to understand riding the ship will become natural, right? Like doing those things will become natural in your life. And so he says, let me tell you the story of Abraham. Now, I'm not going to assume that all of you know the story of Abraham, but Abraham back in Genesis was somebody that was called by God. So here's, here's some cool things about his history or some cool things about his story, right? So here's a man who wasn't special by any means. Like he lived in a pagan nation around pagan people and God just came up to him and said, hey, by the way, how about you pick up everything that you own and move to the promised land, right? Now, to put this in perspective, you know, I want you to think about this for a second. So when somebody tells you you wanna go somewhere, the first thing that we do is you type it in your maps in your phone, like how long is it gonna take and which you know what I mean? Like, which route do you want to take and which one you have to pay tolls and which one's going to take longer and how long is it? Where's traffic? Like, we get to look at it and we get to sit there and we say, oh, like, this is the path. And then you sit there and say, am I going to do it? Like, it's 16 hours, it's 17 hours, it's 28 hours, it's three hours. You make a decision to count the cost because you know how long it's going to take to get there. Anybody? Right? Like, you do that. And or before this, like none of you young people are gonna know this, they actually have these things called maps, right? <laughs> like you get them out, they're on paper, right? Like you get them on paper and you can look and you can open them up and you know, you can use these little measurement things and tell how long it's gonna be and you can look at all the different routes. Like you could do that, but you could at least see if I'm here and I wanna get here, these are the routes gonna take, right? So we at least have something to look at. Abraham was like, go to the, the, the land, the promised land. And he's like, I don't know where the promised land is, but I'll go ahead and go. Now, how many of you guys would be like, that's a great idea? <laughs> now, think about that. God came and he spoke to you. be like, pick up everything you own, and I want you to go to a place, a place that you've never seen, and I don't have a map, but all I want you to do, this is all I want you to do. I just want you to get up every day, and I just want you to take one step. And one step and one step. How many of us would be on board for that? Not many, right? So it is pretty cool that the story of Abraham is here's this guy that, that was willing to sell everything he owned, not even knowing where he's going, but he's going to try to do it every single day. Like, that's pretty cool, right? Then you get to this place where you get to the end of his story and people talk about this. Like, how would it be possible? Like, that's pretty cool. But this guy had a promise and he went for a really long time. His promise was a son. And then he went for a really long time without a son. And then he finally got a son. And then what, you have any idea what God asked him to do? 
kill his son. And I know some of you are thinking, well, I ain't that big a deal. Some days I want to kill him. <laughs> but I'm like, really kill him. Right? Like, like sacrifice him. This guy started in the beginning, and yeah, he had some pretty good faith. But at the end, we're like, I would never, when you talk about this, I would never have that kind of faith. Or I wish I could have that kind of faith. I wish I could trust God in this way. Anybody? Like when you look at somebody, you ever look at somebody and be like, I wish I could have their faith? Or I wish I could be like that person? Well, here, here's a couple cool things right, about Abraham. And this is the part that, the reason that I love it, right, is Abraham, even though he was called by God, but if you read his story, he messed it up a lot, right? Like here's a guy that, God came and spoke to him, and he was making these decisions, but he kept messing up over and over again. But at the end of the day, cool that God still uses people that mess up. Like, you should be excited about that, because that's you too, Amen. right? That God wants to use you, even though you keep messing it up, because I think we're all the same way. Like, you wouldn't be in here today if you didn't want something different in your life. True? Like you want something different. You want something to change. You want something to, to, to go. So you're going to listen to God and you're like, I'm going to go and I'm going to go and I'm going to go. And then you're like, ah, dang it, I'm back at the same place again. Anybody ever do that? It is like walk in circles. Like I'm excited and God and you're awesome. And then all of a sudden you're back in the place where you started the whole journey. But isn't it cool that God can still use people who make mistakes, Right? Because here's the cool thing, right? This is what all of us need to understand. Faith will always be a journey, right? Like, I want, I want you to hear this for a second. You know how you people would always say, like, I want that person's faith? Like, I wish I had the faith of that person. And a lot of times you say that because you don't think you could ever get it. I'm here to tell you today, you can have that faith. You know how you get that faith? One step at a time. You wake up every single day and every single day on this journey. You might go three steps forward and four steps back, but on that journey, forward or back, listening to God, your faith will grow. If you want to miss it, like if you always want to wish you had something that somebody else had, do nothing. Play it safe. Show up to church every day. Don't listen to the challenges of God. Don't obey anything he says. Just try to make it to the end unscathed. And you're always gonna be wishing. And you're always gonna be wanting. And you're always gonna be hoping that you could have what somebody else has. Because all he tells you is not that you have to have it all right. Like, see, some of you are making decisions today to not take steps of faith because you're afraid of the outcome. You know what I'd be more afraid of? The outcome if you do nothing. That's what I would be more afraid of. Listen, because God already proved in his promises that a guy like Abraham can mess up things that are still messing up the world. This is a part of the story you're gonna hear today. Like he made a decision that you're still suffering the consequences today. Like there's still things that are going on in the world today because of a decision that Abraham made and he still used him. Your kids still sing songs about him, right? We should all sit there and say, I'm so thankful that we could be at that place. So here's what we're gonna do today. Just like Paul, we're gonna look at the story of Abraham 
And here's what he's going to tell you, right? Here's what he's going to give you. It's the greatest decision that you could make today is to understand what it means to live by faith, right? If you want to try to figure out how to not drift on a regular basis, this is where you, like practical things are good, but if you want to learn how to not drift for, for long term in your life, fix the faith problem, okay? So here's how he starts, verse six. This is where we're going to go. Genesis three, starting in verse six, and he clarifies something right from the beginning. Here's what he says. So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So I wanna clear some things up. For some of you, this might be crystal clear, but I wanna make sure for the rest of us, we all get on the same page. What does it mean when a person is declared righteous? You see, some of us would think righteousness is like holiness. Like the more, like as an example, have you ever been in a prayer circle? And you know those people that just when they pray, you don't wanna go after them? like they went for the school of prayer and you're sitting there and they keep going on and on and on and it's not boring. It's like eloquent. You're like, dude, I don't want to be next. <laughs> and you're like, that person is holy. That person is righteous. That person is clothed. That person, right? Like we look at people that pray in certain ways and praise in certain ways and lead in certain ways and we're like, those people because of what they do, are righteous. You know what else we do? We go, well, you know, that people, those people, by the things that they do, that's what makes them so good. And you know what makes them so bad? The things that they do. You know what makes a person unrighteous? Because they drink, they smoke, they chew, they things, do things that you're not supposed to do, right? Nobody? Right, like you look at somebody and be like, that person's not good, not righteous, not holy by the actions. So one actions determine righteousness. Right? That's what people believe. That's how people live. Let me tell you something today. Listen to me. The actions of your life will never, ever determine your righteousness. Unrighteous or righteous is not determined by anything that you will ever do, but by everything that Jesus did for you, period. End of story. You will be declared righteous, because I want you to think about this for a second. You're all, we're all gonna stand in front of Jesus someday. We're all gonna stand in front of God someday. Whether we like that or not, you are going to stand in front of him. And when you stand in front of him, Righteousness is determined by a decision made on this earth, right? Righteousness, whether or not you will be, this is what righteousness means, in right standing on the last day. That's what righteousness means, right standing. Here's what right standing means. No one can enter the kingdom of heaven unless they are perfect. That's a true statement. You cannot enter the kingdom of heaven and stand in front of a holy God who has never sinned with sin. You gotta be perfect. That's how you get in right standing. Anybody worried? Right? Like the, this concept of 
Right standing means you can stand in front of a holy God who has never sinned and you can be sinless. Is it possible? Yes. You know how you get in right standing? When you stand in front of God and he looks at you and doesn't see you, but by a decision that you made on this earth, he sees the blood of Jesus Christ and he says, you're in. Not because of what you did, not because of the actions of what you did or didn't do, because what you did with Jesus and what he did for you will put you in right standing. That, for all of us, should be super exciting. And Paul wanted you to get this from the beginning. From the beginning. Two concepts that he wanted you to understand. You have to settle this in your life. The greatest decision you will make for your entire life is to get in right standing. And the way that you get in right standing is to accept for somebody to pay for your sin. Not only your past sin, listen to me, your present sin, not only your present sin, but your future sin. It is all covered. And no one should ever convince you that it's not past, present, and future. When you make that decision, you are identified as a son and daughter of the king, and the blood of Jesus Christ gives you in right standing on that day when you stand in front of the Lord. He wanted you to settle that, okay? Get that out of the way. And he wanted you to settle something else. Because everything that was happening before Galatians 3 was saying, you know how you get right with God? Right? It's do good things because good things make people in right standing and bad things take people out of right standing. He's saying, we're going to settle something. Right standing isn't determined by you, it's determined by Jesus. Okay? Then he would also say is, is that the other problem that they had in the Galatian church was is that there was this misconception of what God wanted from his people. The misconception in the Galatian church by the Judaizers was, I want good people. And I'm here to tell you from my own perspective, no one in this room's good. No one. Not one person in this room. I don't care how long you've went to church, how long, how many things that you're going to recite. None of you are good, right? We're never going to be good enough. He says, so the determination of whether or not somebody is, is going to please the Lord isn't determined upon good. You know what it's determined upon? How faithful you are. Not how many mistakes you do or don't make. It's how faithful you are. Faith is this thing that God wants out of his people is to make decisions of faith. In fact, we see this next. Verse seven, it says in verse seven, understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, a man of faith. Now, he's saying the thing that you're going to be blessed for is one, a decision to become right with God, which is done through Jesus Christ. And you know what the other decision that you need to make is? Whether you will or won't live by faith. Right? That's the question is, is that will you live by faith? Now, here's the thing is, is that that's somewhat abstract, don't you think? Like when somebody just says to you, hey, live by faith. Are you like, oh yeah, got it. This is what I need to do tomorrow to live by faith. Isn't that a struggle sometimes? Isn't it a struggle to be like, okay, so if I wanna live by faith, what are the things that I need to do? So I'm gonna give you five. Are you ready? So if you wanna live by faith, I'm gonna give you five things that you can put into your life that I guarantee you, and these aren't things that are just made up. These are things we can see 
in the story of Abraham. These five things will give you the ability on your journey, because everything's a journey, remember that, that you're never gonna arrive at until you die. It's a continual journey of faith. Those five things are gonna help you in this journey. Here's the first one. You need to learn to listen to God. And everybody's like, I ain't writing that one down. That one's simple, (laughs) right? Well, here's what I wanna tell you. Until you choose to tune out the loudest voice in your life other than God, you will never be able to listen. Now listen to me. (laughs) Easy for us to say, I wanna listen to God. I wanna hear from God. But just so you know today, the loudest voice in your life today is not God. Anybody? Again, think about this. When you start to play things around in your mind, is it the things God's saying to you or the things you're reading on social media? The things that you're looking on Marketplace? The things that your boss is saying to you? The things that if the economy keeps going this way that your bank might be saying to you? Anybody, right? Like voices tend to get loud as you're on your journey because think about this. This is how we all are. This is how Abraham was. How loud did God's voice have to be to say to a man, yeah, I'll pick up everything I own and go to a place that I have no idea where it is. How loud does that voice have to be? Really loud. But here, and he starts going on this journey. The only voice I hear, God, I'm gonna keep moving. I'm gonna wake up every day. I'm gonna look for you and I'm gonna see you. But you know what happens on a journey when it doesn't actually follow the timeline that you want? Anybody ever been on this journey of faith? You felt like God's speaking and he told you to go and then you started to go and you start, you were listening every day and then pretty soon you're like, this is taking way longer and there were way more roadblocks and there were way more problems and then all of a sudden, Voices that you couldn't hear before now all of a sudden come in. Voices that you were able to tune out in the beginning now all of a sudden come in. This was Abraham, right? God, God, God. And then it was like, wait a second, this ain't working. Sarah, Sarah, Sarah. Because you know this happens all the time when you take leaps of faith, just so you get this. When you take a leap of faith and you're listening to God and you're you're going down this track, you will have somebody be like, that was a bad idea. (laughs) Anybody that's taken a leap of faith and you start walking down that road and somebody's like, I told you so. I told you you shouldn't. You're going down this road and you're able in the beginning, I'm not listening to you. You're an idiot. I heard from God. But you know, after time goes on, you're like, well, maybe they weren't an idiot. I, I remember this specifically in the beginning of the planning of the church. I'm like, God called me to plant a church. And as it started to go, we're like, well, I think, you know, like when you plant a church, I thought people came, you know, and we didn't like have that in the beginning. So I was like, maybe, maybe this wasn't. You start questioning yourself and as soon as you start questioning yourself, then all of a sudden Satan brings in somebody else to question with you. And then pretty soon the loudest voice in your head is no longer God and it's other people. It's no longer God, it's your phone. It's no longer God, it's your boss. It's no longer God, it's your bank. You know, God gives us all these promises and all of these things, and it's loud until it's not. So I don't know what you need to do. This is gonna be my challenge for you. I don't know what you need to do, but I think the first thing you need to do is see who's the loudest voice in your life right now. 
Because it's easy to say, I'll listen to God, but if you don't get rid of that loud voice, it'll kind of be like when you do, anybody ever do their devotions and then they're like, Nobody else has those voices that tell them to do something else instead of read their Bible? Like all of the things that you could be doing? Or maybe you're like this. People. Okay. I just think that like I, you know, this idea that you're reading, you get distracted and the distraction is the other voices. The other things that are telling you the things that you should do. The point is, if you want to be able to listen to God, you're going to be able to tune out other voices. So that's one of the things. If you want to be on your journey of faith, learn to tune out what's loudest if it's not God and make God the loudest voice in your life and recognize when he's not. Here's the other thing is we need to learn to obey. Now, here's something. This is something personal for me. I don't know if it's a principle that's really true, but I think it's true, you know, so I'll just say that from the beginning. Like it's like when you would teach your kids to obey, you like you give them the rules you need to obey the rules. You know what the funny thing is about that? They'll, if they disagree with the rules, they will obey them while you're watching. But guess what happens when you're no longer watching? True? Come on, kids. True? Right? Like, here's the rules mom and dad are watching, or here's the rules the school's watching, or here's the rules my coach is watching, but when they ain't watching no more, I ain't doing them. Right? So I always said, like, you know, in the beginning when they're this age, you got to keep them out of the fire and from killing themselves. So you got to have some rules. But as they get older, I always said, like, I only want one rule. Just the only rule, the only thing that you will get in trouble for in my house, lying. Because you know what lying does? It breaks trust. Right? And the greatest thing, so if I want my kids to obey, they have to learn to trust before they'll ever obey. Anybody? Like, I know we have to have rules, and I know what you're saying, so don't be like, no, 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 rules, no, but listen, at the end of the day, your children will obey naturally because they trust you, right? They trust the things that you are saying. Well, it's no different in our relationship with God, right? So the thing that we need to teach people is, yeah, there's a lot of rules that you guys should obey, but you know why you don't obey them? You know why you don't obey the rules? Because you don't trust him. True, not true, and that, that you'll obey until it becomes inconvenient or till you can no longer do it, and you'll stop doing it because you don't trust that, that God has your best interest or God wants you to do, so you just quit. See, the, this whole idea of walking down this road, if you want your faith to grow, I'm going to tell you this right from the beginning. You're going to have to trust God more than you trust yourself, or you'll never have faith. And believe me, that sounds easy, but that's significantly difficult to trust God more than you trust yourself because the world's telling you, trust yourself, trust your gut, trust your heart. They are all terrible. <laughs> I'm just telling you, anybody who would tell you to follow your heart is crazy. <laughs> because your heart can take you to some bad places. Follow Jesus Go where he goes, and it will take great faith to be able to do that. So we need to learn to obey. The other thing is we need to learn to depend. So what does it mean to depend? So if you want to have a faith journey, you're going to have to learn to depend. Now, this seems simple um, when we say it, but I, I think most of us would know 
Dependence on God is not natural in the United States of America. Like, I'll just give you an example, and I don't, I'll just say it for myself, but when you're sitting down and you thank God for your food, it's not like you're worried that you're gonna have your next meal. We haven't missed too many meals. We have freezers full of meals, freezers. So when you thank him, I know, I know some of you are like, but it could all be gone tomorrow, but most of us are just saying, like, we are thankful, but let's be honest. If God didn't show up, you're still gonna eat. True? If God didn't show up, you're probably not gonna be out of your house. You're probably not gonna be at your last dime, right? In other countries, you realize when they get up and they eat a meal and they thank God for their food, they're actually saying, thank God for my food because if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be eating, and it's really true. That's always a Ted, the greatest gift you can ever give your kids is send them overseas and wake them up. Because we live in a generation of kids that are unthankful sometimes, or not grateful for the things that they have. Go over there for a while. You might be like, holy crap, I'm thankful, right? So this whole idea of dependence, it's not natural. So you have to do things in your life to put yourself in a position of dependence. Now, some of those things are things you can do on your own. Like, it's pretty simple, you know, when people are always like, oh, you know, I, I tithe. And I'm like, that's awesome, you tithe. And I'm like, does it cause your faith to grow? Well, I mean, I'm tithing. I'm like, I know, I, I, thank you. You know, please keep going. <laughs> Just kidding, right? But this idea of like, the whole idea of money the whole idea of God telling you to give money, you know why he tells you to give money? So you have to depend on him. That's why he tells you to give money, right? He wants you to give in a way that you're like, whew, I have to think about that one, right? Like give in a way that causes dependence. So you might have to do that something naturally, right? Like you're gonna have to put something in your life to be able to experience what that dependence looks like. I don't know. But here's what I will tell you. If you listen and do, you will be dependent. You know, part of the reason you struggle with dependence right now is you're just not listening to what he's asking you to do because I guarantee you, if you listen to what he says and do what he says, you will have to depend upon him because he would never give you a task that you could do by yourself. True? Like, he would never give you anything that you could get the glory. Like, he's asking you to do things so that your faith can grow and he can get the glory. Your faith can grow, he can get the glory. If he gives you things that you can do it on your own, it didn't grow your faith and he didn't get the glory. So if you listen and obey, you're gonna be guaranteed that your faith is gonna grow. Here's the other thing is you need to learn to wait on God, right? When I say wait, it seems like a simple thing, like God calls you, but you need to like go in his timing, and we think that's simple, but I'll give you an example where it's not simple. So when, we, when I was first called to, to plant a church, I told Sherry, I'm like, hey, we're gonna plant a church. And she's like, yeah, as long as it's in Adams County, we don't have to sell anything. And I, so I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Well, then I went to church planting boot camp, and they said, you're not planting in Adams County. And she's like, and we aren't planting a church. <laughs> and so I sat down, to, with other pastoral leaders and said, what do you want me to do? Like, my wife's not on board. And they're like, you grab her by the arm and you drag her into that faith journey. 
And I'm like, ain't no way that's happening. <laughs> I mean, there ain't no dragging her anywhere, right? Like, that, that ain't going to happen. You're not dragging her into any kind of journey. And so I just said, you know what? If God can call me, he can also call her. So I sat around for a year and a half, did whatever he told me to do, and prayed that if we're going to plan a church, God opened up not only my heart, I opened up the heart of my wife. A year and a half later, we're sitting in a service. We hadn't even been talking about it. She leans over to me and says, we need to plan a church. Waiting on, and why is that so important? Listen to me. I don't want you to miss this, and I know you're going to struggle understanding this. If I would have not waited for my wife to be called alongside of me, we would have been divorced. Because planning a church was the hardest thing on our marriage that we had ever had to do ever in our life. And if it, you know those tension points? If we weren't both called and it was me like, you drug me along, anybody knows how that'll go? Not well, right? Waiting on God made it possible to make it through. Waiting on God made it possible so we could experience trials together, but not separately. Waiting on God caused both of our faith to grow, not just one faith individually. Does that make sense? Same thing when we went to, when we planted the church, one of the things that happened, and please don't be offended if you're a church person, but in the beginning, there's just a lot of unchurched people, but then when a church person would come, you know what their biggest complaint was? Well, why don't you guys do, and then they had this big list, and I'm not saying this in a bad way. I'm just saying when you come from a church, your church did and we didn't, you know, and everybody would ask the same question. Why don't you do it? And I would say the same thing. Listen, I will never create a program and ask somebody to be a part of it. I will pray for a leader and I will support whatever the leader does. And I'm just assuming if there is no leader, then God must not be ready. Because I believe we live in a world today that God's calling his people to rise up. And when they rise up, I'll come alongside them and be like, what, what do you want to do? Instead of saying, here's my program. Will you please come and work at it? Will you please come and help me? That, you know how well that goes? Not very well. But when you wait on the Lord to raise up a leader who has a passion in their heart for something, do you know what you have to do with that? Fan the flame. Not beg people, right? You just fan the flame. You don't have to beg people. So you have to learn to wait. The other thing is this. You need to learn to acknowledge and repent from the failures of your life. And when I say acknowledge, I want you to think about this really quick, okay? You need to wake up every day and remind yourself where you deserve to go. Every day, you need to acknowledge, because see, some of you have forgotten, you've been, in, you've been in this for so long, you forgot to acknowledge where you still deserve to go. Because you've been in church long enough, you're like, I don't deserve this anymore, look at me. I mean, I deserved it a long time ago, but I don't deserve it today. No, today, you deserve the same thing you did a long time ago. An eternity separated from God in a place called hell. Acknowledge it. Because in acknowledging that, it reminds you of the beauty of a Savior. It reminds you of the beauty of what God did for you, right? The beauty of somebody who died for your sins, right? And then it also says that we need to repent. So the other thing that you'll realize if you walk on this faith journey, you actually keep sinning till the day that you die. Isn't that amazing? Not on, 
<laughs> not on purpose, but you realize that we make mistakes in our faith journey. Anybody ever been on that road? Like God called you and you're going down this road and you're like, dang it, dang it. I made a mistake again. But you know what the beauty of all of this is? When you admit your failures, you know what it does? Gives you the opportunity to start over because we serve a God that doesn't get rid of his people because they're failures. Isn't that cool? God's still gonna use you. God's still gonna be a part of your life even though you make mistakes. And the other thing it does, when you admit your failures and repent from your sin and you acknowledge it to other people, you know what it does? It brings glory to God. You see, the funny thing about people in the church sometimes, sometimes people think that if you hide who you really are, that somehow other people are going to be like, wow, God is so good because that person is perfect or that person is holy. Well, first of all, you're a faker with a veneer anyway because you ain't either one of those things. Like, I want you to think about this for a second. Like, the, the beauty of the gospel is... I make mistakes and I repent and God restores me and because he restores me, God gets the glory. Right? So we can be okay saying, I made a mistake. I don't have my life all together. I don't have to come to church. I don't have to look at people and be like, look, I got it all together. No, we can say, I don't have it all together. I don't have everything right. I've made some mistakes. And not to just put it out there that you made mistakes, but we put it out there because we're giving glory to God. Right? And we're showing that, like, listen, at the end of the day, when you'll acknowledge, repent, and admit our failures, God gets the glory for a restored mankind. Right? Because when you, when you do it yourself, you know who gets the glory? You. Look how good they are. Look at all the many rules they follow. Look at all the things that they do. And just admitting, like we make mistakes, give God the glory. So that's ways that we can walk in our journey, ways that we can move forward in our faith. Then he goes on and he says this in verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith, but on the contrary, it says, the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse uh, of the law by becoming the curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessings given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. So he just gives you this picture. If you thought you could follow all the rules, like if you're a person that thinks that I can follow all the rules and I'm going to do the best I can to follow all the rules, he says you're going to be cursed. Because if you're going to go down this road and you think that you're going to follow all the rules and that's what's going to justify you or make you in right standing with God because you followed all the rules, you're cursed because someday you're going to stand in front of Jesus and he's going to look at you and say, I don't know who you are. Right, so he says that from the beginning, and that he redeemed, this is what the scripture says, he redeemed the curse through Jesus because he became the curse, right? So he redeemed Jesus by becoming the curse, made it so that we could understand we're not going to be able to follow all the rules, but because of Jesus Christ, we can be redeemed. That's the whole right standing again. You see that, how he's reminding us? 
Are we still tracking? I know we're a little bit long into this, but gives us the right standing. That redemption gives us life standing, but it's so much, listen to me. If you've been checked out, listen to this. Way more than just what's to come, right? The redemption. Do you know what else he says to you? You're also going to receive the blessing that God gave to Abraham. So it's not just that you're going to be in right standing when you stand in front of God someday, but he says what you're going to receive is a blessing. And you know what the blessing that he gave to Abraham that he said is now passed on to you because of your relationship with Jesus? I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you. Not people that are doing the right things. Not the health, wealth, prosperity. If you do, then you will. No, because of what Jesus did for you and because that you've accepted it, I will now bless you and you and you. That's what he says. You're gonna get the promise that was given to Abraham is now given to you. You will be blessed. He says also that you will be a blessing. That the one thing that you will know in this life because of your relationship with Jesus Christ is that because of your life, you are going to be a blessing to other people. You are going to change the lives of other people because you are going to bless them. Right? He also says this, like the, the promise that he gives is bless those, not only is he going to bless you, but you know those people who are going to come alongside of you in this journey is also going to say, I'm going to bless them too. People who bless you, I will now bless them. And you know what else he says? This is so cool. This is the blessing of Abraham. We're living in a world right now, are you a little bit afraid? You should be. There is a lot going on in the world today. There is a lot of uncertainty in the world today. There are a lot of things happening in the world today that cause us to think, what is coming? You want a promise that comes? from God to Abraham that then comes to us because of our acceptance of Jesus, I will curse those who curse you. No one will come against God's people that God will not react. You're not super excited about that? Like that for me, I'm like, dude, the idea that God of his people said, you know what? I, regardless of what happens in this world, I will curse those who come against you. I will be your protector. I will be your shield. I will be your guide. That, to me, is a great thing, and that's a part of the blessing. Now, here's the last question. This is what we're going to end up. What do you do with the law now? So here's the big question, because this is what everybody asks. In the Old Testament, anybody ever do this before? Where you're like, it, Did you ever ask the question as a new Christian to somebody and say, do I have to read the Old Testament? Nobody asked that question. Like, I asked that question right away because somebody said, start in Genesis. I'm like, dude, it's terrible. <laughs> like, this is boring. I don't get it. I don't understand it. Do I have to really, there's a lot of rules. Do I have to do all these? And I had people say, no, just forget the Old Testament because this is the new covenant, right? That's old covenant. This is new covenant. Just study the new covenant. Here's what I want to tell you is, is those, those two things have to go together. You cannot take the Old Testament and do away with it and just listen to the New Testament. You can't just be with the you know, Old Testament and do away with the New. They have to go together. They're made to go together. So this is what he says you need to do with the law, Old Testament. Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say 
and to, and to seeds, many people, but to your seed, meaning one person, who is in Christ. What I mean is this. The law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God thus to do away with the promise. For it is the inheritance depends on the law, then it is no longer depends on the promise. But God, in his grace, gave it to Abraham through a promise. Now, here's the question. Why then was the law even given? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred to had come. The law was given through the angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. It is the law, therefore, opposed to the promise of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But Scripture has locked up everything under control of sin so that what uh, was promised, being given through faith in Christ Jesus, might be given through those who believe. Verse 23, before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until faith that was to come, uh, uh, to become and be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So here's the two reasons that he gives us for why should you bring the law into a new covenant in everyday life? Two reasons, right? The first reason is when we look at the law, it gives us a moral compass to move us away from our sinful self back to the nature in which God wants. That's the law, right? So let's just use the Ten Commandments because what happened is is that the Ten Commandments were given and then a lot of laws were added, so let's just go to the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments knowing that our sinful nature will draw us away from God. In the Ten Commandments, he just said, if you follow the premise behind the Ten Commandments, it will bring you back to and away from the sinful nature of yourself, back to the nature in which God wants for your life. Does that make sense? So let's understand the essence of it. You shall have no other gods before me. He knew that the natural tendency of every single person in this room is to be the own God of their life that you will wake up every single day wanting to be your own God. And so the essence of the Ten Commandments to move you back to center was to say, wake up every day and remind yourself that he's telling you, you should have no other gods before me, right? He also says in this essence of of every single person, you need to understand this, don't make any idols because all of you will naturally idolize something other than me. You idolize your children. You idolize your husband. You idolize your company. You idolize your job. You idolize your car. I don't mean, I don't know what those things are, but he said every person is going to naturally set up an idol. And I want you to understand this when he says, don't make these idols because here you knew naturally. Parents, there will be times your kids will become idols and you will worship them. No? I want you to think about this. Like, or he knew that there was going to be this tendency that you were going to worship your spouse, right? That you're going to set them up as an idol and you're going to worship everything that they do. He just knew these things were going to happen. So the natural tendencies, we got to wake up every day and say, the only person that deserves worship in my life is my Savior and my God, right? And the rest of it, I will love, but I will never worship. He also says that uh, we shouldn't misuse the Lord's name in vain. He also says to us that we should have a Sabbath day. He's trying to teach you this trust factor. He's teaching you to trust this. You can make more in six days than a person can make in seven if you trust the Lord. 
right? Like the idea is, is that if you honor God with your money and your time and your resources by saying, I could go out and make more money if I worked an extra day, right? We've all had this, right? Like you can work you know, another shift or you can work another time and you can make triple time and you can work on Sundays and you can get all those things and you have a decision to make. You're like, look at all the money I can make. But at the end of the day, he's saying, listen, if you trust me, you'll make more in six than you will in seven. Learn to trust me, right? The other thing that he says is behind all of this, honor your father and mother, right? Like it should be, you know how it happens on Mother's Day? Like moms get coupon books. Anybody ever give them a coupon book? that said all the things you're going to do for them. You never gave these to your moms? None of your moms ever got them? Like they wrote out, you can do this on any day, and you just pull out this coupon. Listen to me, kids. It should be Mother's Day every day. You shouldn't have to be like, I'm going to pull the coupon out to love you and serve you and respect you and help you the way you deserve. That's what he's trying to tell you. He's trying to teach you this natural respect and this honor that should be given to parents every day, not on special days. And you know why? You know the emphasis behind that? I want you to see this. Parents, listen to me a second. If you don't teach your kids to honor, respect, and obey you, how are they going to honor and respect and obey an unseen father? Right? Right? Like, we want to tell our kids, you can be these misbehaved, do whatever you want, have whatever you want, but then someday you're going to have an authority in your life, and it's God, and you'll you'll never see him, right? And you'll never talk to him, and it's hard to have a relationship with him, but you'll just automatically, you don't obey your earthly authorities, but you're just going to automatically obey one you never see. You're going to automatically love one that you never see. You're going to automatically understand and trust one that you've never seen. How hard is that going to be? So the essence, 10 commandments, get you back right on track. Kids, learn to obey because here's the deal. Your your parents are going to make decisions. They're going to be thinking they're the dumbest things ever. But so is God. God is going to ask you kids to do some things in your life. You're going to be, that's the dumbest thing ever. And you're going to have to make a decision who you trust, right? learn from those things. He also says then, here's the last part of it, don't hurt your relationship with other people, right? Like the essence of the commandment is you're going to naturally, when you are angry, naturally when you want something, naturally when we're selfish, you're going to hinder the only thing that matters on this earth, and that's relationships, right? And if we want to reach people, you're going to have to be in relationships, and you could do some bad things when we go into these. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't give false testimony, don't covet. Why? Because it hurts relationship with other people. Right? And you know the other reason that the law is put there? Just to make you realize that you need a Savior. So not only is it a moral compass to get you back on track, but here's what most of you need to realize. Most of you in this room today have murdered multiple different times based upon Jesus' definition of murder when he talked about it in the New Testament. Most of you in this room are murderers and you've murdered more than once and a lot of you in this room are adulterers. You need a savior. The law is to make you and understand that you need a savior. So the worship team's gonna come back up. Let me end with this. Verse 26 says, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, 
nor are we all uh, one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and his heirs according to the promise. So here's what he tells you. And, the, and we'll end it with bringing it all together with this. So if we understand what he was trying to say to us, so there's this idea that we need to stay, we need to quit drifting, and we need to have practical principles in our life, but he was trying to tell you the greatest legacy that you will leave in this, this earth is not what you do. Okay, now listen to me. See, sometimes we think the greatest legacy we'll leave on this earth are the things that we do, the good things that we do, the things that we accomplish. You know what the greatest legacy you'll leave on this earth? A life of faith. You see, because here's what we know, like, it's a crazy thing, but you look across America today, you know, and you look at, like, the greatest thing that I've done is a lot of times it's things that we have done with our hands. Like, you look at the farming today, just give you an example, farming. So you look at, there used to be dairy farmers everywhere, right? You just drive around, there's all these small dairies all over, and you could see them all over. Do you see very many of them anymore? You know Why? Because generationally, this person that built something up and handed it down and then handed it down and then handed it down, guess what? There's nobody to hand it down to anymore. Everything that you've worked for your entire life, you want to hand it down, you want to hand it down, and then pretty soon, your legacy of what you want to hand down isn't there anymore, and that legacy dies out. That's just the reality of things that we do things that we put together, farmers like wondering who they're going to pass their farms so there are no more kids anymore that want to do any of the work. There's nothing to continue to pass those things down to, right? The things that we've worked our entire life for, but there's one thing that will go for generation to generation to generation, and that is a life of faith. The thing that will be lasting, the thing that will be talked about in generations to come in your family is a life of faith, not the things that you accomplished, right? And so my challenge to you is as we end up this last chapter is to understand a few principles that he says right here at the end. The one thing that you need to realize today, you are a son and a daughter of the king. That, if you want to leave a legacy, start with your identity, right? You want to leave a legacy, start with your identity. Here's your identity. You being a son and daughter of a king. Like, I don't know if you understand what that means. The king of all kings, the king of the universe, the one that's in charge of everything. I'm his son? As messed up, screwed up, all the things that I've done, he will still call me a son? Now tell me that's not amazing. Tell me that's not something to celebrate the legacy of being a son and a daughter. And he also says that because of these things, we can all be one together as Christians. And he leaves us with saying this. All of us who've made this decision to be justified by the blood of Jesus Christ in relationship with God through Jesus are heirs, right, of the blessing, heirs of the throne. And because of those things, we should live a life that, that, that is expectations are the things that we do in life that are representation of just that. Sons and daughters of the king with other people in one body and heirs to the glory to the throne that he has. Will you stand so I can pray for you?
Heavenly Father, we're thankful that we're able to gather. We're thankful that we're able to celebrate. And we're thankful, Lord, that, that we can learn what it means to live a life of faith. Lord, I pray that we have the courage to live that out in our lives and have the courage to do the things that you've called us to do. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.
we can leave on this and then just a reminder of exactly what the song says. He's always been faithful. We'll always be faithful. All he's asking you to do, take a step. Get on the journey. Walk down the road and he will be faithful. And in the midst of that, we will not only see our lives changed, but we'll see God glorified in ways that we just can't ask for or imagine. So thanks for being here with us at the main campus. Thanks for joining us online. We'll see you guys next week.